Great. So good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Berkman Center for Internet and Society's very first luncheon series of the academic year. Uh, we are so pleased to have you all here. If you have not been to one of these before, um, typically we have them over in our yellow house at 23 Everett Street, but because we had such a great um, interest in this talk in particular, we moved it to accommodate um, lots of folks, so um, glad that you guys could be here. We also usually go around the room and introduce ourselves typically at the start of these luncheon series. Since there are so many different folks here, we won't do that, but during the Q&A portion, we would ask you just to quickly identify yourself so that um, we can get to know each other and Javier can get to know us. Um, a second quick administrative announcement is that if you also have not been here before, we oftentimes, always actually, um, webcast and record our luncheon series. So there's a camera somewhere in here that is broadcasting to the web. Um, so please feel free to use the word, uh, the hashtag Berkman on Twitter, and please just be aware that these uh, talks are being webcast. So I am so pleased to introduce uh, Javier, Javier Vargas Avila. He is a senior user design uh, experience research expert at Google and at YouTube. Previous to that, he was the manager of the Human Computer Interaction Lab at the University of Basel and has just a breadth of experience that he's going to share with us today. Today he's going to talk to us about is beautiful really usable? So welcome, Javier. Thank you. Thank you very much for the nice uh, welcome and thank you for inviting me here. Very glad to be here, talk to you a little bit about um, how aesthetics influence how we use and perceive products and uh, a couple of things I did there in the past. So as Amar said uh, before, I have uh, been for many years also in academia. So what I'm showing you here is work I did uh, in academia and not at Google, uh, just to make that context clear. So. The question of this talk is, is beautiful really usable? And I'm going to give you a couple of, a little bit of context to understand why I asked that question. There is an old Greek saying, an ancient wisdom, that is, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So what, what do we learn out of that wisdom, right? Beauty is something that is subjective. So not everybody thinks the same things are beautiful. That is actually something very good, so because that increases your chance of finding someone to spend your life with, because somebody will find you beautiful no matter how you look. Um, so this is something good, right? Um, but there is always a but in these kind of wisdoms, too. Of course, that's not always the case, because if I show you these two websites, I would like to ask you, who thinks the blue one, like... If I ask you which of those is more beautiful, who thinks the blue one? Raise your hand. Who thinks the green one? You see, you're in the minority. How can that be? I mean, if beauty is in the eye of the beholder, why do many, think, many people think the left one, the blue one, is better looking than the right one? So there are certain rules, certain factors that play into perception, that play into interpretation of whatever you see, and we think something is beautiful or maybe less beautiful. So these kind of factors are very important when we think about the internet, when we think about designing products, because we want to make sure whatever we design, whatever we present, makes the best possible impact so it's a successful product. So this, these kind of questions, um, they were discussed a lot when the internet was born and, 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 and raised 
Um, and it was all under a hood that um, called like the form follows function discussions. So that, that was, was taken out actually out of architecture and, and, and changed a little bit. And it was like um, many people advocating for um, like a good and usable internet said we should use um, this, this premise of form follows content. So that means content is king, content is the most important thing, so whatever we present, it's important that it's the right thing that users want, and it's actually not so important how it looks. So the form comes afterward. Let's not think about that, it's, it's just irrelevant. And um, that led to an almost historical tension in, in the field of human-computer interaction where, where I work in, uh, between the aesthetics, the design of things, and the function. And, and, and as often in these kind of discussions, they're like even like extreme attitudes. So um, for, a, for a long time, people say like usability is key. It's important that something is usable, that you can go in there, do the things you want on that website, and then go, uh, go away and you do no mistakes, and you're very quick, these kind of things, so this is important. And aesthetics, if things look nice, it's kind of secondary. Yeah, it's nice to have, you can have it, but it's also not so important. There are, like, even people who said these are, like, orthogonal dimensions, where you, on the one hand, you have, like, it's usable, you, you can measure that, you can say someone is, it can do the task quick and can do the right tasks, so that is good. And on the other hand, you have like these aesthetic things. It's kind of like fluffy. It's kind of like, yeah, I like it or I like it not how it looks. And it's kind of, you can't measure that. So it's based on emotions. And so this is kind of like not so important. Um, and for a long time, this kind of uh, attitude like was actually very prominent in the field of HCI um, and, of, and, of, and of very important advocates in that field who, um, who said like, Focus on usability and forget about the rest. There are famous testimonials in, in, in that field. Here's Jacob Nielsen, who is one, probably one of the most famous people in, in that field, who, who said, users don't care about design for its own sake. They just want to get things done and get out. So that's what they want. Give it to them, and that's it. You will have a successful product. Actually, it's very ironic that um, Jacob Nielsen's website <laughs> looked like that. Um, and... I always use that as an, as an example. Unfortunately, it was turned off in, in the end of last year. But no, I'm not kidding. Until the end of 2012, his website looked like that. And it showed very clearly how he thinks about aesthetics. Because it was all about content and nothing about design, nothing about nice looking. Just, you come here, you want an article I wrote? Here are the articles I wrote. Just click on them, read them, and then go away. Um, luckily, and, and so, so this, this kind of attitude is actually astonishing if you come from the field of psychology where I come from, because in psychology, we know that aesthetics, beauty is something that is very important, and we know that for many decades. So there, there, is, a, there is an old article that is called What is Beautiful is Good, where, um, where they showed that attractive people they're attributed with socially desirable personalities. So you see someone you like, you like how this person looks, and you will think, this is a nice person. This person's probably honest, and is probably wants to do good to me, right? Because it's nice looking. And the other way around, you see someone you think, oh, this person is kind of ugly. It's probably going to hurt me or steal, rob me or something. Because 
these kind of information are accessible to us very quickly. So there are many explanations why that is, why beauty has an influence um, on, on how we judge people. One of the things is this classical stereotyping effect where we just like think beautiful is good and ugly is not good. Or uh, we have halo effects where you can say beauty is something that is immediately accessible to us. So we see someone, we know immediately if we like how the person looks. And if we know that, then this will outshine to all other judgments we do. Um, or you can say, it, you can do an effective interpretation where you say, like, if you see someone who you like, then you're in a good mood, and because you're in a good mood, you will evaluate in a better way. So it doesn't really matter which of those factors explain that, or maybe it's a mix of all those. But the thing is, like, if something looks good, then that has an effect on you. So why shouldn't we ignore that when we design products for the Internet? That entire discussion changed um, about 10 years ago when Traktinsky and colleagues published a paper where they looked at those factors in a systematic way. And I'm going to, um, to show you how they did that because it's important uh, to, for you to understand um, what I will show to you afterwards. So they um, looked at ATM machines. So they designed um, interfaces for ATM machines to get, ca get cash out, so you know them. And they manipulated aesthetics and they manipulated usability so they would know if something is beautiful or usable or not. And then they measured a lot of things, how we psychologists like to do, um, to find out how these factors actually work um, when we interact with a product. So I'm going to show you how they did that. Um, they had these um, uh, ATM user interfaces and they manipulated aesthetics factor by um, changing the layout of, of the, the UI. So you see here, that would be one that was rated as aesthetics high, so beautiful, and that is one that was rated rather ugly. You see the buttons are layout in a totally different way. I know many of you will think, well, but this is not actually nice looking. And I, I actually totally agree. So I, I, will, I will say a little bit about the critique of that study afterwards, but I'm just now showing you how they did it. So that is how they manipulated that. And then they had usability factors where they just, in the, in the, in the version that was not usable, you sometimes had to wait nine seconds until something happened, or you had to click button twice, or shortcuts were eliminated. So basically, it was really cumbersome to get your cash out. Um, what they then did is like people rated um, nine different versions uh, of, the U of this user interface on different scales regarding usability and aesthetics. So they had to say, I like how that user interface looks, and, and I think it will be useful, uh, usable. So it was like a usability prediction. And then these participants were randomly uh, put in one of those groups. Either it was like a, a beautiful interface or a medium or, or low, or it was usable or not. And then they had some practice trial, and, and they had to solve different tasks. And after experiencing that entire system, um, they had to rate the system again. So they knew like what, we, what people thought before interacting with the system and afterwards. So uh, what they found is they have actually a lot more results, but this is like the, the, the most important one here. And, and the red things I added so it's a little bit easier to understand. It's a really hard graphic to understand. but um, uh, So the important thing is just look here. You have, you have here the aesthetics. So this is beautiful, medium, and low. And then 
you have here, you see a gap between the high and low usability groups. And here at the medium aesthetics, that gap is still here. And suddenly, when you're at the high aesthetics groups are the beautiful looking interfaces, this gap is not here anymore, right? And it disappeared. So, so what, what, what Traktinsky and colleagues then said, they said, what is beautiful is usable. That's how their article also was called. What is beautiful is useful. They took the, 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 the phrase from Diane, what is beautiful is good, and just applied it to the usability context that what is beautiful is good. So as soon as an interface looks good, we think it's good. Our, I see it in an, a little bit um, extreme case. Our judgment capabilities collapse, and we just think it's awesome. It's, not, it's actually not. It's not usable, but we think it's awesome because it's, it's good looking, right? As a psychologist, I'm always skeptical when I hear this kind of absolute judgment. And it's like people don't lose their judgment capability so fast. Um, so that was why I was rather skeptical when I saw that. Um, and, and, and the final conclusions of Traktinsky is um, actually is, is very nice here in, in, in the quotes that you see here, where he said, the results suggesting that interface aesthetics has a major effect on a priori perceptions of ease of use and perhaps more importantly on evaluation of usability may come as an uneasy surprise to those versed in the field. Because people working in that field kind of thought, well, like aesthetics doesn't matter. And suddenly we know it's not, it's actually not that way. It's actually the other way around as soon as something is good looking, people will think it's usable. So it's actually more, much more important that your product looks good, and it's not so important that it's actually usable, uh, because as soon as it looks good, people will like it, right? Um, despite the fact that you hear of my tone that I, I don't, actually don't agree like, with that interpretation of the results or, or with his study, that was a very important study, because it changed the entire field on how people thought about it. And suddenly, people started to research these kind of things and started to think about it. And, and designers were actually very happy about that, because they could actually, for the first time, say, like, what we do is like really important. Stuff should look good and not just be usable. Um, so there is an important but here. Uh, and that is that this study is flawed in several ways. And I'm going to show you why. And, and that is also why the results have to be interpreted in a very cautious way. First of all, by changing the button placement, and that's how they changed the aesthetics factor here, by changing that, they manipulated usability automatically. It's confounded. Because when you have the button in a row like that, it will be a lot more cumbersome for you to enter your code, your, your, your password. Because it's not the way you're used to, and because buttons are much more stretched over the UI, so that is actually usability. That is not only aesthetics. And, and, and at this moment, if the factors are confounded, then it's very hard to take uh, conclusions on the data. Also note that, as I said before, the beautiful version of the UI is actually not beautiful at all. If I show that to designers working for Google like this, they just laugh. I mean, this is just like kids' work, right? So um, it's very difficult to draw conclusions on, on, on a UI that is actually not state-of-the-art at all. Then... Um, also note that the one that, is, that was rated as aesthetically high is actually the one that people know, right? This is the one that they know from the normal ATM machines. So that's why they think it's beautiful. So a lot of habituation comes into play with that kind of setting. Um, and also aesthetics 
um, there are a lot of factors in aesthetics that they didn't manipulate here at all, which is, for example, color and form and these kind of things. So it's, it was a good start, but there was a lot to improve um, in this kind of setting. Um, also, usability was manipulated only by time. So I, I told you before, people, they, could, um, they had to wait nine seconds until something happened on the user interface, or they had to click button twice, these kind of things. So it was all performance metrics. Well, usability is a lot more than just performance, right? So there are a lot of things they, that comes into play when, when something is usable or not that has not only to do with how long you have to wait until you can get to the next step. Um, that is also why experimental studies that came after that that looked at similar aspects in different contexts were quite inconclusive. You see here um, the different authors that were, this is the original study, and you see here the effects of the different factors, aesthetics and usability. You see that um, he found, like uh, Turktinsky, they found an aesthetics effect. The Ben Bassat found an effect of both aesthetics and usability. These actually were not really significant uh, effects, and, and here, again, both. So it um, was very inconclusive. Like the, the, this, this strong statement of what is beautiful is usable was not really replicated, but all of those studies they had in common that the way they manipulated aesthetics and usability was always a little bit confounded. It was very difficult to actually manipulate these things without influencing each other. So that is like when, when after reading that kind of paper, like we thought we, we need to do it in a different way. We need to be able to manipulate those factors and look at that in a different way. And it took us many years until we had the idea on how to do it uh, because it's actually not so easy. And that is what I would like uh, you to present here. So we did uh, an experimental study. We manipulated both factors. We used an interactive product with e-commerce websites to buy clothing. And uh, we tested that with 80 uh, participants in the lab. And what you see here is how we manipulated aesthetics. So what we did is we took 10 beautiful designs from a public Creative Commons website that designers put their design on for you to use. Why did we do that? Because we're a psychologist and we don't know how to do something beautiful. We have no clue about that. So we needed to take like, the expertise of people who know how to do that. And we took them and we made a pair with the same design but really ugly. Because we know how to do that, right? <laughs> but, but it's actually incredibly easy to do an, an ugly looking design. So um, what, you, what you will notice here is that we had some rules on how to do that. We said we're only allowed to change non-functional aspects. So that background here is different, and you have here that element that is also like more a decoration or so, than something else. But all the links stay at the same place. Um, the background of links are the same, so the readability is the same. We don't want to manipulate usability. We only want to manipulate aesthetics. So we took those pairs and we did a pre-study and we looked at which of those pairs has the huge, the largest gap. So in this, in this uh, case here, you see here the beauty ratings on a seven-point scale is uh, 4.3 and here it's 2.2. So people really think that is a lot uglier than that. And also a little bit, a little caveat: people don't really think that this website is totally gorgeous. A 4.3 and a seven-point scale is kind of okay-ish, but it's not the most beautiful looking website uh, on the world, but we were okay with that. Um, 
so we took those, and that's the way we manipulated um, aesthetics. What we then did, we needed to, in, to also manipulate um, usability. And we did that by changing the information architecture of the site. So the site had no search engine. You had to click through the navigation to find the clothing you want. Uh, so we figured out, okay, you can have a good information architecture that actually helps you to find the right things, or you can have a bad one, which actually is not very supportive. So imagine you have to buy girl sneakers, and you come to the usable website, it will show you woman, man, girl, boy, you will look, girl sneakers is probably girl. You click here, you see different kind of uh, clothing, and you know you want shoes, so you click on shoes, and then you have different type of shoes, you know you want sneakers, and then you have your girl sneakers, and you're successful. While on the other website that is not usable, you will have things like evening wear, outdoor streetwear, or business. You have to click on streetwear, then you have to click on must-have, because of course the girl sneakers are a must-have. Then you will see different categories where uh, this is shoes, and then you go to girl sneakers. So you can imagine it's a lot harder to find your sneakers with that information architecture. So that was why the usability was low, and we actually also were able to, 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 um, to prove that. So there's a, there's a, a, a procedure called LSA, latent semantic analysis, where you can calculate how similar words are to each other, and you see here the numbers. It's not so important, just believe me. Like this is from a quality information architecture is a lot higher than this one. I'm sorry it's in German, the experiment was in German. Uh, but um, that was kind of to prove that, that the quality of this information architecture uh, was different. Yeah. No, I, I translated that into English so, so I can make the point. <laughs> the entire experiment was, uh, oh, you mean here? Uh, yeah, actually must have. Yeah, that is something that we, there, there, in German there are some, some, uh, some wordings you use from English. They're like very common. For example, like in the internet it's like download, right? It, it, the, the German word is herunterladen, but people say downloaden. So uh, there are a lot of English slang that comes into the German uh, word uh, through the internet or through movies and this kind of thing. And one of the things that, that are uh, used a lot is must-haves. Must-haves is just like, yeah, you, something you must have. Uh, so that's why it's in English there. Good point. So what we did then is like we had a pre-evaluation phase where people saw these, um, these screenshots and they had to evaluate the screenshots in many aspects. It was regarding aesthetics, it was how they estimate usability, and also their, what we also gathered is effective response, so they had to say like in what kind of mood they are currently on a simple scale. And then they interacted with the website, and they had four tasks, and these tasks, um, we, we showed them a picture of, uh, of something, of girl sneakers, and said, you want to buy that uh, for your family? Um, go ahead and, and find it. And then after each task, people could, uh, had to rate um, task um, their task usability um, here. We also had all kind of objective measures, and they also rated the valence, so they could say like if, if they're in a better mood or in a worse mood than before. And at the end, they had to rate again the entire experience on many different scales. That's how we psychologists like to do it. Um, so we find here, um, you see here uh, the, the results. You have in this axis here the classical aesthetics. You have pre-use, so before people use it, you see usability ratings don't differ. That's because people are not able, actually, to tell apart the good and the bad usability, the bad information architecture. At that point, they had no interaction with it. They don't know that this is not usable. 
So they look at it, they say, well, I think it would be fairly usable, that website. Then post-use, after they used it, you see here interface usability high. The rating doesn't change. So they used it. It was pretty usable. So the rating is the same. If they were in the low interface usability group, then the rating drops. So you see people are able to judge if the website was not usable. And they lowered the rating because they had to struggle to find the things they wanted. And they say, no, it's actually. Um, and what you see here, this axis is aesthetics. So they lowered the rating of aesthetics. So they say, this website is uglier than they said before, right? First they say, it's kind of OK. And then they say, no, that's an ugly website because of the usability. So actually, if you think about what Traktinsky said, that's the other way around. It's like, oh, if it's not usable, I also don't like it. It's a totally different conclusion. Or you have here on the, on the other side to see if the different aesthetics groups actually don't differ um, here um, pre and post use. So we wondered, how can it be? How can it be? that you lower your rating of the aesthetics of a website if it's not usable. That doesn't have to do with each other, right? You don't, you're not able to find the things you're looking for. Why would you think it's uglier than before? So uh, because we're psychologists and because we like think about emotions and these kind of things, we had those ratings. We gathered the, the, the affective state. And what we did is a little path model where we look, okay, we have objective usability. These are all these kind of things, like how many times they clicked, how long it took them. And we, you see here the, the bold arrows is a connection between usability and the perceived aesthetics and the perceived usability. So there's this clear connection. If they think something is good, then they rate it good and they think it's beautiful. If they think something is not good, then they lower their aesthetics ratings and the usability ratings. The moment you add the affective state to that model, this connection here disappears, you see? So the connection between objective usability and aesthetics disappears, and it goes through the effect. What does that mean? That means low usability makes you angry. You're in an angry mood. And because you're angry, you also rate that website as being uglier. You're like, this is a horrible website. Yes, it's ugly. Right? It's like, it doesn't matter what you rate. It's just like, this was horrible, so everything is bad. Right? Because you're in a, in a bad mood. So, effect seems to play a very important part in this kind of uh, play between um, interface aesthetics and, and usability. So, the conclusion is that we don't lose our judgment capabilities because an interface is, is beautiful. That I'm very glad about. Because we are like, rational beings, and just because something is beautiful, we don't think it's usable and everything is fine. And there is a relation between usability and aesthetics. No question, you saw that in the data. You also saw in the data of Traktinsky, there is a relation between those factors. You can't just ignore aesthetics and say, as long as it's usable, everything is fine. But it seems that this relation is much more complex than just saying, if something is, is, uh, is beautiful, then it's also usable. It seems to depend a lot on how you set up the experiments and also how you manipulate those factors. Remember I told you the website we used was actually not that beautiful. It was an okay website, right? What would have happened if that would have been more extreme, if we would have taken a very beautiful website? Or 
you see the, you've seen the information architecture. The one that was bad was really horrible to use. I can tell you it was really horrible to use, right? What would have happened if you would have taken an okay-ish information architecture and a good one? If this gap would have been not that extreme, maybe the results would have differed a lot. So it, these factors are very important, how you manipulate them and how they, how they play together. And very important is effect seems to play a very important part here. Um, when we interact with something that is, uh, that is usable or not, that puts us in different states, and this can influence how we rate things. So that led us to, to, um, to change a little bit how we think about those factors. Um, this is actually a very old uh, model of Herzberg, which is um, in the field of motivation, uh, like work motivation. It's called the motivation hygiene theory. Um, and we took, oh, my pointer, my pointer is not working anymore. So uh, we took here that model and actually put it to, um, uh, and put the factors aesthetics and usability on it. So we see on the lower side is the hygiene factor. Hygiene factor in the work context of Herzberg is stuff that needs to be really here for you to be able to be happy at your work. So for example, that you get your salary regularly. That is, that is a hygiene factor. If that is not there, it doesn't matter what cool things you do, you, will not, like you won't be able to eat at the end of the month, then that's not cool, right? You won't be happy. Um, motivational factors are things that make your work really attractive. For example, I say always at Google, like free food, that's not why we come to Google. But it's really a nice thing, like it's a motivational factor. So if you, if you, if you translate that to aesthetics and usability, you can say hygiene factor is actually usability. Like usability needs to be there. You need to have a usable product for you to even consider that this is a good product. It's a hygiene factor. If it's not there, you will not like it. While aesthetics is a motivational factor. That means you will not get a really good experience if your motivational factor is not there. But if it's there, it can multiply with a hygiene factor. And that is when you're on the right-hand side of the graph where it's the truly awesome experience. Because you have both. You have something that is usable and it's beautiful. If you translate that to a hypothetical experiment, we didn't do that, but it would look something like that. Pragmatic quality is usability. If that is low, then, um, and, and, and you see here on the, on, on the points, the hedonic quality, which is, which is uh, beautiful or not, you see on the left-hand axis the user experience. If the pragmatic quality is low, then you have um, a negative experience um, if the hedonic quality, the, the aesthetics is also low, if the hedonic quality is, 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 is high, that boosts it up. And the best experience, the positive experience is, you have it if, if, the, if the usability is high and the, the, the aesthetics is also high. Which, again, leads us to the very, very trivial conclusion that a product should be usable and beautiful and that is how psychologists do it. They work for years to answer a trivial question. <laughs> or to put it into Norman's words, which is one of the truly great people in that, in that field, is beauty and brains, pleasure and usability, they should all go hand in hand. Thank you. We can take a few questions now. If anybody uh, has any questions, I can hand this mic to you. 
Thank you so much for your presentation. That was great. Uh, I was wondering, do you see a difference, for example, a gender difference in your experiment if you would have done this <laughs> only with women and only with men? And second, uh, my interest is in young people. So do you think there you would have seen a difference as well if you would have done this with, let's say, a 12-year-old? That is, uh, these are brilliant questions, and I don't have an answer. So uh, regarding gender, I know we didn't have any gender effect. So we, we, we had a, um, uh, like a balanced sample, and we looked at gender effects, and there were none. So I, I would expect that in this context, wouldn't expect a, gender, a major gender effect. Uh, now, as for young people, um, I, I could only speculate. Um, what, what we saw often in, in experiments is that the younger they are, the more critical they are towards these kind of factors. So they, they bear with less than, than, than older people do. Older people, and it's, it has often to do with like attribution. So you're like, if something older, it, older people see something is not usable, they often think it's their fault. It's like, yeah, well, I'm not so good with technology and these kind of things. While young people, they don't think that, right? They're good with these kind of things. So if something isn't good, it's like, this is horrible. Let's go to another website. But it's just speculation. We didn't really do any tests. In that direction. Hi. Uh, Hi, uh, Erhard Graf at the MIT Media Lab. I have a question about how this practically impacts your product design work. Yeah. Um, like either the research or just thinking about what you prioritize when you go into the product design process. That is a good question. So, um, uh, you mean like at, at Google? Or, 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 or so uh, I, yeah, I, can, I can't answer it for, for Google because I'm not allowed to talk about that. But um, <laughs> I, 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 I can say very practically, I think that when, when, um, when you design products and you have different design visions or different designs, you should totally test your, your, your designs. And there are methods of that. I wasn't able to show this here in the short time. But there are methods that we use now in, in the field where you basically show... Um, screenshots of your designs for a very short time to people, like 50 milliseconds, and you have them rated. And if you have different designs, you can mix it up maybe with other designs that are not yours, of different websites, and you can run an experiment, and you can see um, where your designs are. And you should totally choose the designs that, uh, that create a very good first impression um, on people, and that, that will reach high aesthetics ratings. Um, so... I know that, well, that's where I differ maybe from many designers where they just think, well, we're designers, we know what we do, so we don't need to test. But, but I, 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 I can't stress enough that I think it's very important to test the designs and to make sure you choose the right one um, and not just go with instinct. Does that then translate to priorities? I mean, priorities talking, in which when, you, when you're talking yeah. about that kind of interface with yeah. that uh, loop, does that mean you're then prioritizing up front uh, a high aesthetic experience rather than prioritizing a high usability experience when you start designing? Well, no, I, that, that can go in parallel. I mean, the, the testing the usability is not something, it's something you can even do without the design. You can just do it in mock, you can just do it with wireframes or whatever. So you can do that in parallel um, if you're able, or you can fa first make sure that whatever interactions you want to present work and then work on the aesthetics. So I wouldn't put that in a priority, but you should... You should not only test the usability, you should also test aesthetics. No. 
Oh, yeah, she has a microphone, so she's first. <laughs> uh, Leora Kornfeld, HBS in Berkman. Following up on your question, this has to do with the, the subjectivity of beauty, but the two examples of the websites that you used that were, quote, ugly, to me looked like they were kind of appealing to, if I can use the term, the sort of Brooklyn hipsterish look. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> because, they were, because they didn't look like The Gap or a mall or something mainstream like the, quote, beautiful uh-huh. ones did. So I'm wondering if you found that the people who who categorized those as beautiful, the ugly yeah. ones as beautiful, tended to be younger or more urban or anything like that? Well, I... No, we, we didn't really look into that. But I would certainly as, uh, expect an effect of, of, of your, like, demographic background on these kind of ratings. So when you... If, if you do test your designs, you should certainly make sure you choose the population that represents the, your target audience. So if you like to, I don't know, uh, um, clothing for young people, you should not test it with elderly or, and so on. So I would expect that, but I, that we didn't really look into, into these kind of questions, but it's very interesting. And we also, I would expect a lot of cultural influence. Like doing this test in, 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 in Asian, uh, with people with Asian background, I could imagine also would, would deliver different results. If, if you are um, shopping for clothing, you're already going to be paying more attention to issues of um, aesthetics and beauty than you would be if you're shopping for something else. How would that have affected the experiment you did? That is interesting. I mean, so, so to, 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 to be mean, I mean, these people were not buying clothing, right? These people were, it was, this was hypothetical. Right. If, if you put it on a, on, a, on, a, on a context, on a real context, might have some influence, uh, but I, I, would, I would rather expect that actually the task has a much, um, a much larger in, influence. So in, in this case, right, we were basically telling them what to find. That is not what you really do on a website, or, or not always. Often you maybe go and you don't know what you want. You're just browsing and stuff, so it's a total different mood. If you would have said, people, just buy four things you like, how would the effect have been? So I think that, that would have actually uh, also influenced the results a lot. But, uh, yeah, I can imagine if you're buying, I don't know, cars, gear or something, maybe you're... But, but we didn't select the participants regarding their feel for aesthetics. So I, I don't know, maybe there were a lot of men there that did, really didn't care about clothing. Hardly, so. hardly. Uh, yeah, maybe not if it's yeah. spare parts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but we didn't never took one of those. I don't want to discriminate them. We always stay here. <laughs> Great. Um, so I have a question about expectations, and it seems to me that that in 2012, when when your study was published that people have different expectations about usability and aesthetics on the web. Um, Versus in 2000, we're talking about an ATM. Um, We're talking about a study that was probably done in 1998 when cat homepages were the height of aesthetics uh, and usability. Uh, How does that change? And and can can you say that a study like... Does a study like this hold up over time, or will expectations of aesthetics and usability change constantly as as the web uh, changes? Yeah, that is a brilliant question. I, 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 I th- so I think the results would hold up in the sense that the, the, the factors, usability and aesthetics, will change 
but the relation should be similar. I would expect the relation not to change between them, but certainly what you regard as something beautiful will change over time. I, it's totally correct. I mean, 15 years ago, the websites, they look totally different than now. So it's, it's a, different, um, a different framework you have. And also usability. I mean, 15 years ago, you could do a lot less, like technology-wise, you could do a lot less than nowadays. Um, so these factors will change. I'm not sure if the relation between those factors should change that drastically. I, I think that's it's rather more in-depth psychological uh, um, aspects, but, but that's speculation. I don't know. We, we have to, to look at this. But if you would run the exact same experiment in 10 years, I would expect like, the ratings of, of aesthetics and usability to be different because people will judge it on their current framework, which might be very different from what we have now. Yes, well, we had there before, yeah. Uh, have you ever used eye track method in your research? Yes, the, this was done with eye tracking, and there are also eye tracking data published in that. I didn't show it now, but, but yeah, okay. we ran it okay. with eye tracking. Good. Yeah. And also, are you interested in the neuroimaging? Uh, also, what kind of uh, websites create the, some certain activities yes. on the brain? Yes. Yes, uh, yeah, we, we published two papers in, in where we used uh, um, fMRI to look at how, how uh, websites and complexity influences your judgments and stuff, so we did stuff in there. But I have to say that I was not the, 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 the first author of those papers. I'm not really the expert in all those uh, uh, like psychophysiological metrics. But you are determining the, some certain points of the uh, website, which points mostly subjects look at on your eye tracking method. So, so um, yeah, no, what we never did is combine eye tracking and fMRI. That's actually quite difficult because of the equipment. Um, so that I couldn't say. But for, for, for example, when we put people, um, when we, when we uh, measured uh, psychophysiological aspects, you could see that websites that are more complex um, then generate a lot lower ratings. So the visual complexity has a huge influence on how you rate um, aesthetics. So I have a question similar to, to his. He talked about that your experiment has people uh, shopping. I mean, all, both experiments, the, both the bad Israeli one and the one you did, have people in an acquisitive frame of mind. They're trying to get something. Yeah. Now, I, I'd be in, I suspect that if we think experiments where they have to be problem-solving or completing a task, ideal in security, so warnings where people are in a fear state of mind or alarms where it's fear and speed – that the correlation is not going to be the same, that that, that, that acquisitive mindset, which I, I guess you're on for most of the web, is not going to, is, is, won't necessarily translate to some of the other mindsets. I, I agree. And, and I also, I don't think like the web is really always this kind of performance-driven task. Often you just for leisure on the web, or um, I would totally expect that to have, to have an influence on what you want to achieve. Sometimes... Like when, when, when it's really important that you achieve what you do, uh, you will rate these kind of things totally different than when you're just in a leisure mode. And one of the ideas we had is to run that experiment again and just have, tell people, here you have $100, go and shop a couple of things you like and, and, and see how that influences the entire uh, framework. So, so I I'm totally, totally agree this, this has a huge influence. Hi. Um, I find it interesting with work like this. We're, we're moving towards a, uh, an area where we can actually start to think about quantifying the aesthetics of design. I have a question. Do you think that we're ever going to be at a point where we can actually totally computationally generate 
um, pleasing or displeasing design? Yes. Yeah, I, I think that is, very, that is a very dangerous question. Um, I think we will be able to move in that direction. I'm not sure if we'll be ever... Maybe we'll stop at, the, at, at a similar level than we do with auto-translation. So imagine like Google Translate. You can translate a text and you will more or less know what was written in the other language, but it's not perfect. So it will go into that direction because uh, there are so many aspects that influence aesthetics ratings uh, and the design, so I don't think this algorithm will be perfect. But of course, if we learn about what, which factors lead to a good or positive rating, imagine visual complexity, prototypicality. How does a typical website look or colors? Which colors do people like more than others? Recombination of colors, font sizes, like, uh, or placement, and, 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 and all these kind of things. You can totally think about algorithms that look at those and give you like, like a computational like, number between 0 and 1. If it's like, ugly or beautiful, it will not be perfect. Uh, but, but it could be certainly something that you could use as a first initial guess and, and, and then move on from that. What are the um, uh, paragons of beauty and usability in the research or in your experience? What are the exemplary websites in both fields? That are good? That are both beautiful and usable. Oh, holy... <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm always asked those questions. I, I, I can't give you, I mean, I can just give you like my personal um, opinion of, of which websites I like uh, or, or which apps I like or don't like. And that is not really something you should hold as a standard. Um, so, but, but I mean, for me, a, 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 a good example of what is really an awesome product is Google Search. And for me, it's both uh, regarding usability and usability. Because you go there, you do what you want, you can get what you want really quickly. It's, it's, it's not, you don't go there and it's like, oh, this is the most beautiful uh, site on the, on the web. But you also don't go there and think like, oh, what is that, right? It's made in a way where you can very quickly achieve what you want. And uh, so that, that is, for me, is, is an example of, of, of something very good. Example of, of websites I don't like that much is, for example, eBay. Um, eBay I, is a website where I always struggle using it, always doing the right things, and it's also not aesthetically pleasing for me to look at. Yeah, but I wouldn't quote those as the exemplary. It's just my personal opinion. How does usability and aesthetics impact something like getting all the way through the shopping cart and a complete purchase? Did you have any look at, were you looking at that at all? How do those factors influence if you go to the end? Right. Like, for example, take some, a site like Amazon, which is also sort of horrific. Yeah, yeah. Very, yeah. very well tested. Yeah. And he's yeah. going towards getting through the shopping cart and sales. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 this is a brilliant question. I would really love to test that once uh, in, in a right way. I mean, in, in, in a correct setting where people really are doing something like, like shopping, how do those things really influence task completion? In the lab, it's artificial. So you're there, so you will try for a longer time than you do at home. And then eventually, even in the lab, you will give up. I mean, people could give up and say, I go to NAS task, I can't solve that. Um, but it's artificial. It's not the same that if you're at home shopping and then 
something is not pleasing to you, for example, like the design of the website is not pleasing to you, and you, will, you might think, I don't know if this is really a real website. Should I give my credit card to that website, right? And it's like, the aesthetics might, like, we know that there are studies that show, like, aesthetics has a huge influence on trust. So uh, if something is not nice looking, you kind of, like, don't know if you would trust your payment details to that company. Um, and, and also usability, of course, will have an influence. If you don't find the things you want, then you'll leave or you struggle. You cannot, like, fill in your data and, 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 and then eventually you will give up. Now, it would be really interesting to see, I mean, what I always want to do is, like, the first impression of a website is based a lot on, on how it's looking. How long does that effect really last? So you have, you have a website that is maybe not so nice looking. You see it, you don't like it. But then I would expect that effect to wear off while you're doing things. So how long does that last? And, 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 and so, so and you might leave or you might not. And if you don't, um, how will that affect your satisfaction afterwards and these kind of things? Is this important? Because it's also, if you think in, in a real context where you meet somebody, somebody's maybe not nice looking, and you meet this person, you will think, oh, I, this person looks weird. But then you start to interact with that person, and you might revise your judgment very quickly. And you will say, oh, this, is, this person is awesome, and it's like funny or whatever. So, and suddenly this aspect is irrelevant, right? So I would expect a similar thing to happen also um, when you interact with websites, and, and looking at this would be very interesting. I wonder if you could comment on the uh, commercially available optimization platforms, like five-second tests for website design or Optimizely. Um, you said that your your tests are microseconds. Uh, yeah. At what point within the framework of those kinds of tests do you, would you potentially, following onto your OS statement, see a, a change in people's perception of the sites? And could you recommend um, sites for those of us who are thinking about this a lot with building of their own platforms, uh, some of those commercial platforms that might be useful for testing aesthetics? Um, so uh, we looked at, at, at a couple of those commercial websites, and the problem is that often you have no real transparency in what is happening. Um, so I'm, I'm usually rather skeptical towards these, but it, if, if it's transparent towards what they're really measuring, then can be something interesting. Um, I, I, we, I like For Google, we are not able to use these kind of things, but it always involves you to upload whatever assets you have to their website, which is not allowed. Uh, so we can't use them. So I don't have in-depth experience with these kinds uh, of tests to see if it really translates uh, then to successful product design, these kind of things. Uh, but, but I think it's an interesting direction to go um, and would love to, to, to experiment more with that. When, when you do it yourself, like um, in, in, in the lab, there are many tools you, you, can, you can buy which are not very expensive where you can just build an experiment like 20 screenshots, they are randomized, they are showed quickly, people can rate it. So that's not really very difficult to achieve to do these kind of tests also in-house in the lab. But, but of course, uh, there's also tools where you can build it and then run it as online experiments, these kind of things. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm happy to share uh, uh, software with you if, if you're interested in that. Yes. Hi, I was wondering if um, if you came across any features or elements that were so universal across websites that they could be used to predispose people to believe something was usable or believe something was beautiful, that you could prime or nudge people into thinking that. Okay, yeah. I, I think that, that, is, that is a good question. And I, I talked before of, of the factors of prototypicality. Does a website look like a website, like we expect a website to do? And, and we did uh, research in that. It's also published um, 
where like you can show what a prototypical website looks to you. So, you, so for example, like how, how does a typical shopping website look? Where do you expect the shopping cart? So the shopping cart is expected at the right-hand upper side, right? So that, that's where you expect it. And you can show that if a website is not built that way, then people like it less. So um, placements of, of objects or which objects should be in there, uh, there is a lot of data on that. Um, and I would expect that to have an influence. Like the question how it is designed, I, I don't know anything, but I would also expect if you design a shopping cart that doesn't look like a shopping cart, it will have a negative influence on, 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 on how people perceive your website. While if it looks like a typical web uh, shopping cart and they realize it's one, then that, that will be better. That, does it answer your question? We still have time for more questions, if anybody has any. Can I take a mic holder's privilege and ask one quick question? Yes. Um, this is related to a lot of the questions that have been asked, but um, uh, when uh, popularly used websites change their interface, um, what kind of standards and practices do you recommend for those? I'm thinking of like Facebook when they change their interface and get a lot of complaints and people want it to change back, then they yes. gradually get used to it. Well, it's, yeah, it's all, all major like, tech companies have that problem. Like, we at Google have that too. We at YouTube have that too. Oh, we have that problem. Um, that is difficult because that, that goes into the direction of your, when you know a website, you develop expertise. When you have expertise, you feel in control. And when you change a website, that expertise is taken away from you, so you're not in control anymore, and you get angry. So um, that, that is what we call change aversion. There is, uh, there is um, a blog post of one of our researchers, Aaron Sedley, who, who, who uh, wrote an article about that. So it's, it's, this, this, it's natural to have that kind of aversive um, reaction if, if change happens. And as, and as user experience, people working in user experience, you're in charge for making that bump as small as possible. So uh, what, what you have to do is to test a lot before to make sure that the expertise drop is as small as possible uh, or to, um, then, then there are um, kind of procedures you can take to make sure this kind of bump doesn't happen like in the bad moment. So at first you have an opt-in. So people, you say, hey, we have this new design. Actually, do you want to try it out? And um, if, if, if people want to try it out, they can try it out. They can switch back to the old one if they don't feel comfortable. Eventually, you will say, okay, this is the new design. You can switch back to the old if you want, but you, like, enforce them. And at the end, you will have eventually also to, like, make it final. But so if you, there are many things you can do the right way to make sure that the bump is small and that you, give, like, you, you remain people in control. Um, but you will always have people that are really angry because they, they, they lost their expertise and... So we kind of have to live with the fact that we will have angry users, and that makes me as a user experience researcher very sad. I would really like not to do that, but um, the only way not to do that is to stop innovation, and as a company, obviously, you don't want to do that. Okay. The thing you said earlier, um, I'm Christina at the Engagement Game Lab. Um, the thing you said earlier about Google is ringing around in my head because I don't think of Google as beautiful or aesthetically pleasing. I think it is of it as highly functional and usable. Um, it's not ugly, 
but it's sort of aesthetics neutral. And I wonder if it went towards something more beautiful, if people would lose trust in it, in its efficaciousness. Um, do, it's do sort of like a card catalog. <laughs> so I wonder if there's a point if there's a point at which you can go too far with aesthetics and and lose, if not usability, trust. You mean because you're too beautiful, yeah. so people don't trust it anymore? Yeah. Not in the shopping yeah. experience, yeah. but in this information gathering mode. Well, I mean, it kind of goes back to the acquisitive yeah. questions. I mean, you can. For me, it's very important if you, if you look at aesthetics. Um, it's all, it always has to be in the context of the product you're developing. Now, the aesthetics differ vastly if you're like thinking about like, like a, a car website or a website offering something for like like pets or something. So so that is is very different. And if, if if you look in the context of a search engine, a beauty will hopefully be very very different than the shopping context. So if you if you make if you apply the aesthetics of a of an online shop to the search engine, I would certainly expect negative effects. Uh, because, as you said, like you, you introduce a lot of things that are actually totally out of the context. Um, yeah, as 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 for the Google search side, there is a lot of of thinking behind uh, how it looks, and it has a lot to do with simplicity and this kind of thing. And there can be a lot of beauty in simplicity, but as I said before, it's probably not the website where you say like, "Oh, this is the most beautiful website in the world." Uh, that's not something we would like. That that's not what we try to reach with Google search. Right. So it seems like the curve change. Yeah. 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 Agree. Going once. Going twice. I, I missed the first part of your talk, but I'm I'm curious as to uh, how corporate brand identity plays into the the beauty piece and distinctiveness of brand versus kind of cliche of brand and if there's any insights you have there. For example, like trying to market a new mutual fund, if distinctiveness of, of a fund, what, what factor would that weigh in, in brand consideration? Yeah, yeah. It's a, a good question. Um, I, I, I don't know, uh, but I would totally expect brand to have a huge influence on these kind of things. Imagine you do the website for Coca-Cola and you have the Coca-Cola logo there. It will be a totally different thing as if, if, if a brand is unknown, this kind of thing. And, but I, I have no knowledge of a, a study that has been made in that field, so I don't, I don't know. Well, maybe we have a few minutes for just informal interaction. Uh, but for now, uh, we'd just like to thank you very much for coming and sharing this talk. Thank you for your attention. Thank you.